If you love great olive oil, do I have a deal for you? As one of my listeners, you're entitled to receive for $1, listen to this, for just $1, a $39 bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils. And what makes this oil really special? It was just fresh pressed at the new harvest, so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor than any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh pressed olive oil? And why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit. And olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oils direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest-fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure, fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs! It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh yeah! I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to jimmyoliveoil.com. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. One more time, jimmyoliveoil.com. It's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Will Cole. They're here every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. Now, it's time to drop some keto knowledge on Keto Talk. Keto Talk. Here's Jimmy and Will. Hey, hey, guys. We're back here on episode 123 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. KetoTalk.com is the website. KetoTalkFB.com is our official Facebook page, The Ketonian Corner. Go hang out there a little bit if you like your fellow Ketonians or if you don't like them. Learn to love them over at The Ketonian Corner at KetoTalkFB.com. My name's Jimmy Moore, international bestselling author of Keto Clarity. And what we do here on this show is we talk about low-carb, moderate protein, high-fat ketogenic diets, and we answer your questions. You, the listeners, submit your questions to us, and we happily answer those here on the air. So who's the other half of we? It is now, and I'm so proud to say this for you, Will, it is now the international best-selling author of Ketotarian, Dr. Will Cole, functional medicine practitioner out of Pittsburgh. I had to take an extra breath just to get all that in this time, but congratulations, Will, on the success of your debut book. Yeah, I'm so humbled and thankful and excited, all that stuff. And now hitting the ground again this week, seeing patients after book launch week. I'm yes. excited to get back to do what I, I do uh, primarily. But yeah, the the fact that Ketotarian has resonated with people so well, we hit 15 of all books on Amazon. It's pretty crazy. And see, guys, he doesn't realize how big a deal that is. I've only had one book get higher in the ranking on Amazon than he has. So that's a big deal, Will. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand it. I don't, but I mean, I, I think it was the right place, the right time, right message. And I, I was excited cause I could put all of my heart and like the things that I wish everybody could hear. I got to put in Ketotarian. Um, I, I, I'm super excited about it. That is the cool thing about writing a book is if you feel like there's a void in some message out there, then you have every uh, ability to put it out there and you're with a, a pretty good publisher that's giving you this opportunity. And it seems like it's resonating really well with the public. Why do you think it's resonating so well? What is it about your book that you think it is filling that void? I think it's probably multi-leveled. I think that the ketogenic, um, popularity is number one. I think that the fact that, um, people are aware of it, even if they're not in the wellness world, they want to get in on the keto thing and they're seeing keto products pop up. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but more and more companies and blogs and the news are talking about this. Um, but then I think there's a lot of people that, um, maybe don't do well with dairy or they don't prefer a lot of meat and they want more plant centric options in their ketogenic meals throughout the day. So ketotarian filled that void. And, um, we were talking about something that really wasn't talked about to this level, um, before. So I, I think it was, um, a a good timing. Uh, and I, I pushed to get the book out earlier rather than later. Um, the publisher wanted out next year and I thought, you know what, we need to get this out sooner. So we rushed it. Um, I I didn't rush it, but they rushed it on their end of getting it printed. Yeah. Um, for me. So I'm excited. I think it was a perfect time. Well, again, kudos to you. Uh, I was sitting there. I think I was more excited about it than you were (laughs) at moments, just kind of keeping track with where you were going around the world. In Australia, you cracked the top 10 in all books in Canada. Same thing. Top 10 in all books here in America on Amazon. uh, Top 15 in all books. That's huge, my friend, and you deserve it. I'm really proud of you. And and now there's a couple of international best-selling authors that host this podcast. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just thank you so much for your support, Jimmy. And just like you've been through this before and you're updating me on what this means. And yeah. uh, I really do appreciate your guidance and friendship. It's my pleasure. And I I try to mentor other people all the time. And it's my pleasure to see the success of others. A, a rising tide raises all ships, as they say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that. And and like I said to you earlier, I think, you know, just on the front of the cover, it says Keto Talk on the front cover of Ketotarian. So maybe more people will hear the podcast and go beyond the books and and hear the continuing conversation every week on Keto Talk. If you're listening to Keto Talk this week because you saw the name of the show on the front of Will's book, Ketotarian, I want you to write to me. Go ahead. Because yeah. that'd be fun to see if people are actually listening now because they've been looking at your book and uh, seeing who's this Will Cole guy? Well, what's this all about? <laughs> so that'd yeah. be really neat. Well, speaking of a rising tide, raising all ships, it seems like with all of the popularity of keto that's out there now, Will, that there's every company and their mamas trying to come out with some keto of everything. <laughs> and so... It officially jumped the shark for me this week because I saw one of my uh, ghosts of dieting past now come out with a keto line. One of those ghosts of dieting past is the Slim Fast line. I used to drink that stuff when I was in high school and thinking I was doing something good for my body. Um, 
never mind ruining my gut, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But they've come out now, SlimFast has, with a keto line of products. Uh, I'm certainly not promoting them, you guys, uh, as far as products that you should try. But it's interesting to me, and I'm looking at some of the some of them. They have a shake mix which has whey and collagen protein, grass fed butter, and MCTs. Somewhere they got the message message will that this is what people are looking for. Yeah, it's it's the consumer and the, these companies go where our money's money is being spent and Google searches are being searched for and they know what people are wanting and you're going to see more and more companies uh, do this and I, I know of a few big ones in the wellness world that were 2019 it's a lot of keto everything yes because it's going to be good quality stuff a lot of it so I wouldn't I don't know much about the slim fast one but. I don't know. And in, in a way, I like it that we are forcing in a good way, but we're positively forcing the food industry to really think about their ingredients and and we want better. And that doesn't just apply to the keto movement, but it applies to the real food movement. And if you've ever been to Nat, uh, Natural Expo West in yes. Uh, California. It's massive and it's growing every year. Uh, Many keto people are there and many other low carb, healthy paleo type places are there because people consume the companies are looking for ways to to get money again right. and to, for, to get the help with sales. But in, in return, we can maybe get better products out there. Did you look at the ingredients? Yeah, I, I was going to get to that, but it, it's a double-edged sword for me because SlimFast has always been the bane of my existence in the dieting world. It's every time I wanted to lose weight before finding keto, of course, you know, I always felt, like, oh, I could drink some SlimFast and I know I could drop some weight, even though it's disgusting, gross And so it's kind of a double edged sword for me because I've long loathed uh, the ingredients and what they, you know, do in their products. And now here's that same name coming out with a keto line that's using decently good uh, quality ingredients, whey and collagen protein, grass fed butter and MCTs. But they still include things like um, mono and diglycerides and artificial flavorings and natural flavorings and maltodextrin and canola oil and soy lecithin and sucralose and carrageenan. I mean, the list goes on and on. And of course, all of the synthetic vitamins that they put in it because they've stripped everything out of whatever real whole foods would have those things in it. And so that's my dilemma Will is I'm glad to see that we have more products that are available uh, and maybe because of the slim fast name, some people will buy them. Oh, slim fast and not realize they're getting something maybe halfway decent. But then at the other you know, side of things, what happens when keto starts to wane in popularity? Do all those yeah. things go away? Well, yeah, they will. And so I say we support those companies that are doing things well. Yeah, I think the perfect keto company is doing things really well, making a lot of those kinds of products. I think the Kiss My Keto company, there's a lot of companies out there making good quality foods. We should support the smaller ones that, you know, will be here tomorrow and, you know, long after that, not just for this trend. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, th- those ingredients that you listed, I definitely am not advocate for any of those added on things. And you get these companies that they get 
it's a branding thing. It's it's a bandwagon thing. It's not necessarily yeah. a, a quality thing. Yeah. So at that point, they're jumping on the bandwagon and slapping keto on the label versus actually really looking at what people want when it comes to health. But you're right. There's many people that aren't going to read the labels and they're going to fall for it because it has keto and label. Not good. That's deceptive marketing. Um, but I, I, like you said, perfect keto. Many other companies out there are doing some great things and actually providing good quality quality uh, ingredients. So just because, it has, just because it has keto on the label, you need to still read what the ingredients are. And they did the same thing to Atkins. They did the same thing to Paleo. So it, th- this isn't new that companies are stepping up and, and slapping a label that they know is the trendy word at the moment. Um, but for those of us who live this, this isn't a trend. It's not a fad. We're living this as a lifestyle change that's going to be permanent and healthy for us. Yeah. Well, now that I've got us riled up, let's get to the hot topics of today. Uh, And we've got five great hot topics. This is our feature at the beginning of the show, you guys, where we kind of uh, blitz through some really uh, hot topics that are happening in the world of keto. And the first one, does it matter where on your body you test for blood ketones and blood sugar? Uh, For example, finger versus arm versus some other body part. Uh, so when you test, obviously testing, you know, fingers is generally where we test for ketones and blood sugar. But does it matter if people have extra sensitive fingers and want to test somewhere else? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I've seen been testing ketones and blood sugar levels and glucometers for a lot of years now. And what I find is that no matter where you test it, I think the bigger message is be consistent with where you're testing it at. Mm. And testing it at the specific time of day, uh, at least you can test it other times of the day, but at least if you're going to be consistent with it and you want to track trends, then be consistent on the time and the place that you're testing it in. But there are many people listening that will know this, but I've had patients where they're literally going from one part of their body to the next within seconds and they'll see different (laughs) numbers. Right. Uh, even the same spot, part of the same spot on the body, let alone a different part of the body. So your body's always in flux and dynamic. So, um, I think it's just important to be as consistent as you can to get a better marker of where your body is going. And I would even add to what you said about being consistent about the time of day. I would say, don't just, uh, measure in the morning, measure sometime like late in the afternoon after you've you know, finished eating and everything settled there and test again, because will I've sometimes have people write me and go, well, I never get above 0.6 on the blood ketones. And I'm like, okay, when you know, when are you testing? Oh, in the mornings. Mm -hmm. When else are you testing? Oh, I'm not testing any other time. I'm like, I guarantee you later in the day, you've got higher ketones than 0.6. And sure enough, they'll write me back and go, I just tested at five o'clock in the evening and it's 1.1. And so that that's a a good reminder, too, that uh, don't just rely on one part of the day to give you the data point for how you're doing the whole day. Absolutely. Because some for some people, many people, ketones can be on the lower part of their day in the morning. They are for me. Yeah. With that circadian rhythm of cortisol and blood sugar. It's just the the dawn phenomenon going on there. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I I would agree with that. We have patients if they're okay with it, if they like have enough strips and this is something that they're open to doing, to doing it throughout the day to get a, a benchmark of the dynamics throughout the day. Or even if you just do one morning reading every other day and then one evening reading every other day, it's the same as testing every day. 
but you kind of get that right. apples to apples comparison of the morning versus morning, night versus night. Yeah. Well, let's get to the second hot topic. What do you think about using this thing called soul water, not soul water, but S-O-L-E water? Sorry, my my 1970s uh, growing up is coming back out uh, for <laughs> electrolytes. If someone is eating keto, have you used soul water with your patients? Yeah, I have actually. And it, it, the, t- the uh, technical pronunciation is sole water. Sole. Sole water. It's even better. Sole. Yeah, sole water. Uh, it's basically very rich salt water is what it is. You put a cup of salt water in a jar, you fill the rest way up with, you know, water, and then you let it like, sit overnight. Yeah. And then you'll obviously the water will be soaked with the salt minerals and all the good electrolytes and Sounds minerals. kind of gross and- to drink. It is. You're not having a lot of it. You're like working your way up to a teaspoon in the morning on an empty stomach and you can have it throughout the day. So people with HPA access issues or adrenal fatigue, they call it. It's this brain based fatigue um, with their uh, cortisol levels. That's a tool that I use for those people. I use it when people are fasting. Uh, right. Intermittent fasting as well as longer water fasting protocols and uh, bone brothing protocols. Uh, and people that are transitioning into the ketogenic lifestyle when they're uh, trying to get their electrolytes on point. So yes, to answer your question or to answer the question, the hot topic question, that this is a tool, Soleil water, uh, for balancing electrolytes for somebody that's just starting off keto. They want to avoid what they call the keto flu. They want to keep their electrolytes balanced. Uh, this is one way to do that. Is this a more palatable way of getting salt into your body Uh, Because I know, Will, I can just take some pink Himalayan sea salt, sprinkle it under my tongue, you know, a good little pinch or two. And it's great that way. How is this different than doing that? It's not much different. I mean, you should be salt. People should be salting their food to taste. They can have it just a little bit on their tongue. Like you're saying, Uh, this is just a high concentrated form of it. uh, And it's a way for people to kind of get hydrated at the same time with the water, even they're having small amounts. Right. So it's it's not that putting it under your tongue is not as good necessarily because some people prefer that. Um, but this is just a high concentrated standardized form for them to, to start rehydrating their body with electrolytes. Gotcha. Well, let's get to the third hot topic. Is there a difference between eating a single meal versus breaking it up Uh, using the same size food in two to three meals throughout the day. And this is one, I guess it goes from that whole OMAD one meal a day concept and then not eating the rest of the day versus breaking it up. It's probably a whatever fits your schedule best. Yeah. And it depends what they're eating. So the standard American diet, uh, if you're getting a bolus of sugar and you're getting all of it at one part of the day, or if it's tons of carbs in one part of the day, that's going to put more impact on the insulin, on your insulin levels and blood sugar levels will be impacted at that specific time versus spreading it out. So in theory, if someone's eating the standard American diet or eating lots of carbs and grains and sugar, I would probably want them to spread it out to give their body a little bit of a break and not stress their body so much out at that one, at that one point in time. But, you know, I think that when you talk about the ketogenic standard here i think it's a there's a place for both um so yes there's a difference because you're going to get the benefits of intermittent fasting and you're going to be getting the benefits of 
of eating a healthy ketogenic meal. But I don't think it's when it comes down to it, I think that you they're both parts of a healthy ketogenic lifestyle. Yes, of course, the more food you're eating, the more work your body is going to have to do. Digestion takes a lot of energy. Um, so sometimes if people are eating too much all at once, but it's too much calories, it's too much fat for their body to process process it. And that would behoove them to spread it out over the day or to split it up into two um, while they can still intermittent fast, but maybe all at one time, time that OMAD uh, sort of thinking yeah. it's too much fat for the gallbladder or too much fat for the liver and their or GI system and they're having diarrhea from that. So at that point, they may want to spread that out a little bit. But when it comes down to it, we know when we're chewing food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it all ends up being chewed up food in our stomach and being right. digested. So I don't know if that answers the question well, or not. I guess but. the crux of the question is, is it more beneficial to have that 23 hours of fasting to recover from the one meal versus never really giving your body a chance to relax beyond an intermittent styled fasting of, say, 12 to 16-ish hours I'm trying to think if you did two meals, you could get those in, you know, in that eight hour window. And then that gives you 16 hours. But if you do three meals, it shortens it even more. It just seems to me, I guess the crux of this common thing that comes up as a topic in keto is doesn't that 23 hours give you more of a chance to relax the organs and kind of recuperate and maybe give you a benefit? Yeah, I, I think that when you look at the three different options, I would if I had to prioritize it for the standard person, I would say two meals a day is probably, I think, the most sustainable for most people. Yeah. Then then the intermittent one meal a day, I think, can be great and more therapeutic and then less what I'm a less of a fan of is three meals for people every day. Um, I and think definitely that, not six to eight meals. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if I had to pick, it would be like two, one, three, yeah. um, for my, for the average person. Right. And I fall into the two. Most of the time, I just feel very comfortable pretty much not eating quote breakfast. I have my break fast in the middle of the day and then, uh, and then a nice meal, uh, in the evening, and then about an 18 hour fast and it's, it just works out that way. It's great. Well, let's get to the next hot topic. Number four, how do I listen to my satiety signals on keto when my hunger remains despite eating low carb, high fat? I get this one a lot, Will, where people say I've gone keto and I've heard everybody talk about the satiating effects, but I don't have <laughs> those satiating effects. Um, obviously, that's something to do with the gut, right? Could be do with gut, could be to do with uh, leptin in the brain and the gut and sort of the communication between all three of those systems. Um, I would say one thing that I see clinically that happens is when people go keto, they aren't eating enough food. They're not eating until satiety. Right. So let's keep that in mind. I think if you're taking certain foods out of your diet and those are maybe the foods that you would have gone for, um, then you people just maybe not eating enough food. So generally speaking, I would say eating until you're satiated is a good way to go. Um, and then obviously the conversation is, well, wh how much does it take calorie wise for you to be satiated? Um, and then I would look at sort of a tracking app there at that point, like my fitness pal or chronometer or something like that to see how many calories we talking about for you to feel satiated. Uh, but fat, as we know, is very satiating. So my assumption would be they're probably just not eating enough 
food for their body. Right. And as their body becomes more fat adapted, they tend to need less calories anyways. But during that transition period, I definitely I have seen certain people have to calorically get more in to feel satiated for a time. And as their body gets more metabolically flexible, then they can they get to more of a realistic um, average calorie intake. And sometimes it's not that much more fat, for example. I mean, you get a couple of tablespoons of grass-fed butter, that gives you 400 more calories. That might be just enough to get you to the point of satiety, whereas you're cutting back thinking you're doing a good thing. Yeah, and many people are still in that dieting mode subconsciously, even when they're going into keto. So they're worried about that they're they're still feeling hungry. They're just not eating enough food. So, uh, yeah, consider that. And then there's the flip side to this question of people that are so satiated, they're not eating enough, and yet they're feeling satiated. There's probably a lot of things going on there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's get to the hot topic number five. What happens to excess dietary fat that is consumed beyond satiety? Does insulin then shuttle it into the fat cells like it does carbohydrates. I've been seeing this one in various iterations out there. Um, what happens to that excess dietary fat? Well, well, first of all, I would say it's pretty difficult for people to eat beyond satiety when they're eating healthy fats. You'll throw it That's, up. <laughs> yeah, they'll you'll get throw it up. You'll have GI uh, like loose stools. Um, you'll feel nauseous if you're overeating. If you're being, if someone's being gluttonous, eating healthy fats and they eating a ketogenic sound ketogenic meal, they're not going to feel well. So it's way less likely versus carbs. People can overeat that uh, very easily uh, and they're not going to get that same message to their brain to stop eating. Um, but let's talk about it. I mean, even if they're not getting sick and eating that far beyond uh, satiety, uh, they're just eating calorically more than their body needs. Their body, fats, are treated differently by the body compared to carbs and protein. Uh, they carbs and protein are basically they signal the liver to produce uh, to, to digest it. They allow the pancreas to sort of release insulin levels, and you have that insulin response. And then the body has to treat it accordingly. It can become free fatty acids, it can raise triglycerides and uh, or fat around the liver with metabolic syndrome. All of that's going on with the excess carbs and excess junk food in the standard Western diet. Healthy fats don't have that same response in the body. Uh, it bypasses the liver. It doesn't stimulate the liver. It doesn't stimulate the pancreas. Uh, it actually is absorbed in the intestines. Uh, and when it's excess calories and not used for energy, obviously in the context of the ketogenic diet, this is not what we're talking about. We're using fat for fuel and we're using it to fuel our body and fuel our metabolism. But if someone's eating beyond satiety, which is what this hot topic question was inferring, the body is then absorbing the fat through the intestines and it's stored as fat just like anything else would because it's excess. The body doesn't need it. The difference is insulin's not spiked. So it's all about the context of who's overeating here. <laughs> is, is it somebody that's like the standard healthy-ish person or is it right. somebody with metabolic issues? Um, because in a normal, healthy human being that is leptin sensitive, meaning their leptin is speaking to their brain cells and it's, they're telling their body, hey, we're full here. Let's burn us off as energy. They're leptin sensitive. They're, their brain is sensitive to the hormone leptin, leptin that their fat cells are producing. At that point, the body's going to say, whoa, we have enough here. Let's curb down appetite. And the person is satiated and it's calmed down. And if they force feed themselves, 
then what happens is the body has amazing mechanism for eating healthy fats is that the body's metabolism actually is revved up because insulin's not triggered, blood sugar's not off, the metabolism actually increases to burn that excess fat because they have force-fed themselves. Now, if somebody is leptin-resistant, uh, the meaning that their receptor sites on their hypothalamic cells of their brain is resistant or they're not picking up the message to leptin, similar to insulin resistance, this is a little bit different because if they're eating and force-feeding themselves healthy fats, even if it's healthy fats, it's still going to be ending up absorbed in the intestine and stored as excess fat in the fat cells. Um, so that it's, it's better than eating carbs, which is at that point you in, bring in insulin and glucose and triglycerides and all that other stuff into the picture, but still it's not optimal, uh, which is why we always say on this show to eat until satiety, don't right. eat beyond that. And that's when the other topic comes into play here of intermittent fasting, which allows the person that is leptin resistant to burn that fat uh, more effectively. So these are tools that you can use, eating ketogenic as well as intermittent fasting, which intermittent fasting, as we both know, is a, it causes ketosis, but it's also a result of ketosis. As when someone is fat adapted, they're more likely to intermittent fast. That's right. So these are some things to consider. Yeah, I remember interviewing Dr. Richard Bernstein, the famous low-carb uh, diabetes expert, and he told me on uh, an interview I did with him many years ago, Anything that would distend the gut will produce an insulin response. So if you're pushing in fat or pebbles, he even said, uh, well beyond in, you know what your body would need, that it would actually physically distend the gut, then you're going to have an insulin response. And I'm assuming if the insulin goes up, that whatever it can shuttle into the cells, it will, and that will lead to stored body fat. Yeah. And again, you're going to have a lot less, way less of an insulin response with healthy fats than you right. are with carbs and protein. Right. But still, yeah, overeating, take home message, don't overeat um, because ultimately you're not going to trick your body, even if it's healthy fats. Right. Well, guys, we're going to pause here real quick and we'll be right back with the first question of the day. If you're a fan of fat, then you need to try the F-Bombs. Go to JimmyLovesFBomb.com, enter the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. So what are these F-Bombs? They are nut butters, and they have incredible combinations of coconut and macadamia nut, macadamia nut butter, and my favorite is salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. They also have several oil blends including the house blend, the MCT oil, as well as coconut oil. If you want your fat on the go, then you need to check out JimmyLovesFBomb.com. And once again, use the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb. You'll get 20% off your first order. JimmyLovesFBomb.com. Have you been interested in trying the new cutting-edge technology of exogenous ketones but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash Jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketones supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, 
and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet with perfect keto exogenous ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high-quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at perfectketo.com jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, and we're up to the first question we're going to address here today, Will. This one's from Catherine. Hey, Jimmy and Will, could you please do a discussion on the three different types of ketones and how to test for them? I have two blood ketone devices and the ketonics breath ketone meter, and I'm wondering why my readings on the ketonics are high in the mornings when blood ketones are a bit lower and in the afternoons, my blood ketones are higher and my breath ketones are lower. Is it correct understanding that blood ketone measures show the amount of ketones that are in your blood, but not necessarily the ones that are being used in ketosis, whereas the measuring of the acetone, the breath indicates actual usage of the ketones? Or does this even matter? Thanks for discussing this important topic, Catherine. So Catherine wants to know, are breath ketones a better indication of the actual usage of ketones over blood ketones, or does it matter? So here's the thing, you guys. All of this technology is so new to the market. I don't think really will. We know any accuracy per se, 100% guaranteed this is what's happening with any of this stuff. It's more just kind of looking at the trends and seeing what's happening and taking an educated guess, right? Yeah, the breath meters, as the as Catherine had said, it measures breath acetone, which studies have shown, and um, it's 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 understood in this world that acetone is directly proportional as a good indicator of beta hydroxybutyrate, which is right. what a lot of the research is done on of basically the cool health benefits of ketosis. Most of the research is done on beta hydroxybutyrate. Right. But what the breath meter people are saying and what studies are showing is that breath, uh, getting a gauge of breath acetone, we're able to see uh, where beta hydroxybutyrate is by proxy. But, um, the gold standard is still blood, uh, so that doesn't change. I prefer uh, on a daily basis when I'm going to 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 do do my meter. I like the breath meter. I don't like pricking my finger, even though I know it's very painless and there's great meters out there. Um, I I like the simplicity of breathing it in. But the problem that I've seen, not with myself, with but with patients, is that they get these breath meters and sometimes they'll be really low. Yeah on the breath meter and be fine on the blood and the blood's the gold standard. So I actually recommend blood meters more for my patients that are dealing with health issues that are wanting to manage their health and not just doing it from a lifestyle standpoint. I, I stick with the blood as the gold standard still. Um, but if people want to try both, but the problem I have is people are getting discouraged because right. they're not getting good readings on the breath, but they're actually in ketosis doing just fine. 
I don't know if they're just faulty meters right. that I'm seeing um, or not. Well, um, and the so same are, thing's happening with the urine sticks. People are peeing on those sticks and some people get purple early and then it disappears and they think they're doing something very wrong, which is why I'm not a fan of those either. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I don't even recommend the urine strips for anybody that's unless they're just sampling and they're testing out the keto waters and they're just starting off, then then do it. Um, but long term, we know it's really not a, a good a testing uh, what method. So, Catherine, to your specific question, the three different types of ketones are acetoacetate, uh, acetone and beta hydroxybutyrate. And what Will and I both agree on here is that BHB, beta hydroxybutyrate, is kind of the gold standard of where you want to see where you are. And again, it's a snapshot in time. So it's dependent upon your activity level and how you know, your proximity to your last meal and how much fat you had in said meal, all of that's going to impact those blood ketone levels. Uh, but certainly testing blood ketones is that gold standard until the technology of acetone gets better. There's a few companies, Will, that have made various ones, some very expensive uh, to the tune of like five times the cost of the ketonics. Um, that I'm just, I'm not convinced that they're necessarily showing you any better data than what you'd get just from testing blood. I agree. Yeah. Well, Catherine, thank you for that question. And we are up to the headlines portion of the show, but Will, I decided to combine the headlines and the study portion of the show because while we've been, uh, you, you've been book, uh, uh, doing your book, uh, debut, <laughs> there was some big news that came out in the low carb world, which I'm sure you couldn't avoid. Um, and not just one, but two studies that came out that pretty much was a, I, I'm just going to say it like it is, is it was propaganda trying to bring down the keto message. And we've saw it all over the place. Uh, I did an Instagram live response to it. Um, and so many people have been responding so I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond, but I'm, I'm calling this segment the ramifications of bad science, because what happens is these kinds of studies get out there and they're sort of kind of responded to. But then you've got Uncle Dave who'll call you and say, well, I heard that keto thing's going to kill you now. What are you doing on that thing? And so it has reverberations into our culture, which I definitely want to talk to you about here. But let's get to the first one here. Your low carb diet won't kill you, but it's probably not a good idea. Uh, could cutting carbs cut your life short? A new preliminary study suggests that there may be a link between a low-carb diet and an increased risk of early death, but more research is needed before doctors will advise loading up on bread and pasta. The findings were presented today at the European Society of Cardiology Congress in Vienna. The study has not yet been published but it's on it piggybacks basically will on that one that was in the Lancet, which got a lot of headlines and a lot of negative publicity for keto. What do, what do you think about what's going on? Is this a concerted effort to try to discredit keto because it's popular? Yeah, I think it is. And uh, I couldn't get away from these studies because all book launch week for keto Terry and every <laughs> podcast I was on, I got asked that question. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes back to, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation. Right. And when you look at studies like this, they're quite great uh, clickbait as far as headlines are concerned. But if you look at the context of the studies and what they're actually looking at and what they're actually comparing it with, 
to. I would say that this is um, less exciting, actually, when you read the data. But what, but basically, what it's associated here, what it says here, is low carb diets were associated with 15% higher risk of total mortality, 13% uh, higher risk of cardiovascular mortality, and an 8% higher risk of cancer mortality compared to high carb diets. Um, but again, they don't differentiate with what actually low carb is. They don't talk about ketosis. Right. They don't. They're not talking about, and we know uh, that low carb, high protein, and the impact that mTOR pathways can have. And I mean, there's a lot of nuance here, and the quality of the fats and the quality of the protein that these people are eating. And because we're talking about correlation and causation, when you look at both of these studies here, um, that it, you have to look at are people that have a past history of cardiovascular problems and health problems or cancer are more inclined to do these diets. So then, therefore, you would see a higher rate of these mortality and disease rates, uh, that's very probable. There's no way of knowing because they're not really looking at that. Um, but it's logical to think that the people with health problems are more inclined to do these, um, these type of diets, low-carb diets uh, in general because they're avoiding sugar and carbs because we know those things aren't healthy. So you get a bunch of people that are going through health problems that are trying to do the right thing, and then you get these statistics because they are sick people. Right. Um, uh, it's just sad, and these are people's lives. But this is often, this is really, to my mind, where you get these numbers from. Well, and part of the issue is the headlines say low carb, but then you look at the Lancet article, for example, their low carb was 40% of your calories. I don't know any low carber that can get away with 40% of their diet as carbohydrates, even yeah. clean, fresh, you know, the, the best, uh, you know, non-blood sugar spiking carbs. That's a whole lot of carbs. Yeah, exactly. And we know, I mean, not all healthy fats are, are not all fats are healthy. Uh, so what are, what are they going for? We're just lumping in every low carb diet in together and yeah. saying this is a problem. Um, we know a high carb diet's not healthy either. Um, so what are people to do? And I think that's the bigger message here. We need to look at context and specifics instead of making broad sweeping statements about certain ways of eating. Well, and then their conclusion at the end of this article that a healthy diet for most people is uh, neither very low carb or very low fat. Instead, it should be high in fruits and vegetables, whole grains, fish and legumes, low in added sugars and saturated fats. And of course, within a healthy calorie limit, it's like. Do we ever get off of that song and dance? How did that become the standard? Yeah, I know. And it's just the regurgitation every time a every study time. like this comes out. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get to the Time Magazine article that's next. Low-carb diets may not be healthy in the long run, study says. So it's kind of a uh, repeating that same study that was at the European Society of Cardiology Congress in Germany that found that diets very low in carbohydrates may raise individuals' risks of premature death over time. And the study co-author says, the message seems to be clear. We should avoid diets with extremely low and very low levels of carbohydrates, specifically those that go less than 26% of daily calorie intake from carbohydrates. Risks may be even more pronounced when that level dips below 10%. Why ain't I dead yet, Will? Because I've been under 10% for years. Yeah. Well, and, and there's many people that are thriving in a ketogenic lifestyle. Uh, so how yeah, do they say it, that with a straight face? I, just, I can't. It's it's just baffling to me. Do they think the fat's killing us? 
Yeah, I, I don't even think they know. I just think that literally when anything's popular to a certain level, more of these studies come out. So you have all these low carb studies and conversations and doctors uh, talking about it, you know, uh, the recent coconut oil, uh, you know, regurgitation of that same right. thing. It's just the same old, same old. Yeah. And uh, by the way, this study came from uh, which has not been published yet. And it, uh, in a peer reviewed journal, um, they used data from the NHANES, uh survey, which was between 1999 and 2010. That's that's been used a lot by various researchers that in um, uh, data and the researchers found that over an average of six point years of follow up, people who consumed the lowest amount of carbohydrates had a 32 percent higher risk of total total mortality, a roughly 50 percent higher risk of dying from vascular disease and 36 percent higher risk of dying from cancer. You know, I mean, they're making the correlation. But again, most of the this information is from diet recall. And so I, mm-hmm. I can barely remember what I ate last week, much less, you know, a year ago five years ago, 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's get to the next headline. Both high carb and low carb diets increase low, uh, low long-term risk of mortality. Um, and so more research points to moderate carbohydrate consumption, as well as plant-based proteins and fats as the best dietary approach. And this was what I wanted to outline with this one. It seems that the move is, and this is very unique for you having written a book uh, about plant-based keto, it seems the move is, okay, if you're going to do keto, then you must do it in a plant-based way to make it healthy. And I I think that's growing stronger because they realize keto is here to stay. So why don't we convince people they have to do it vegetarian, vegan? Yeah, and I think also when you look at the amazing studies and research are coming out of the ketogenic world. Uh, they, it's really hard for them to ignore. And I think the conversation then leads to, okay, how can people do this long-term and then specifically for their minds, which they think all saturated fat is bad. How can people do be in ketosis or at least times of ketosis with limiting saturated fats, which you know, anybody in the conventional setting, that's going to be uh, a red flag, you know, a motivating factor for them. Um, but they cited in in these articles, yeah, these plant based way of going low carb uh, and it's associated actually with lower all cause disease, cardiovascular disease and other diseases. Yeah, it just seems to me that 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 notion and we, we saw this a few years back when Atkins was popular. There was this study that came out about doing the Echo Atkins, which was more of a plant based kind of Atkins diet. And it just mm-hmm. it seems that that mantra continues on. Don't get fooled, you guys, that you have to do that. Uh, Will shows you how to do it if you choose to do it with Ketotarian, but you don't have to do that. Exactly. Well, let's get to the next headline, why ketogenic diets have long-term complications. So this continues how the bad science will has ramifications and reverberations that go well beyond the study. So this one says, in search of a more sustainable and lasting approach to reversing or at least delaying the onset of type type 2 diabetes, I recently returned to a vegetarian diet. Uh, Reverse diabetes with a high-carb diet was what they heard from the Forks Over Knives vegan community. And so uh, they, they listened to this and they were convinced that insulin resistance isn't an issue of carbohydrate, 
but an, in, uh, an issue with all the meats and dairy and oils and all the things that are yummy on a ketogenic diet. What'd you think about this one? Yeah, it's interesting. Again, this is the article uh, in this, uh, uh, they mentioned it in this article, specifically the Harvard studies that concluded how they mentioned the fact that an animal-based low-carb diet uh, was associated with increased risk for premature death in both men and women, but they actually cited a vegetable-based low-carb diet was associated with lower risk of these diseases. I find it interesting that they say that, and then they say to avoid uh, fats, because they're very much like this article and the people they're talking to were very much against all fats, even right. though they cited in the article the fact that there's obviously data to show uh, improvement in health uh, with low-carb diets. Yeah. And then the last one is uh, one that was in this uh, Straits Times. Evaluate facts in articles before making dietary changes. And hallelujah, we finally got some sanity <laughs> out of an assistant professor at uh, a school of public health named Dr. Mary Chong. And she said um, in a, an op-ed piece that it triggered a media frenzy, therefore not surprising many people are now misinterpreting what the original findings mean while others are left confounded as to what it means. As she goes on and on to say, you know, we need to slow our roll a little bit. When these kind of studies come out, the headlines hit all over the media, people hear about it. We've got to really take a closer look at these things and not always take it at face value of the reporting. And we talk about that a lot here, Will that you have to dig a little deeper, which is what we try to do by putting a focus on it on this show. But what do you think about Dr. Chong's uh, comments? Brilliant is everything that I wanted to say when I on all the podcasts. She just said it more eloquently uh, in written form. But basically, it, just because something's correlated doesn't mean it's a causation. And you have to look at the quality of the fats and the proteins these people are eating. Uh, and you have to take into consideration who are people that are more likely to eat a low carb diet. And it is as very probable that it is people with pre existing health problems. Um, so all of this nuanced in context. Uh, is important to consider when you read these headlines. Yes. Well, let's take another break here. We'll be back with your featured questions. Living la vida low-carb, talking about a low-carb diet. Uh -huh. Getting your body healthy, it ain't no doubt about it. Yeah, it's really about ketosis, a ketogenic life. Yeah, a real-time indicator for ketosis called ketonics. It measures your breath for ketones. Are you burning fat? Uh -huh. It's the first of its kind. All my ketonians, where you at? Hey, I'm just here to let you know. Wanna look and feel incredible. We living la vida low-carb. Get your body healthy and live long. Hey. Keep my fats high and my carbs low. Need my glucose down right now, pronto. Check my ketones, look at the stats, yo. With ketonics, now I'm in the burning fat zone. Ketonics, we burning fat, yeah, we own it, yeah, yeah. With ketonics, I'm burning fat and I'm on it, yeah, yeah. Living la vida low carb, I do this every day. If you want to burn that fat, it ain't no other way, yeah. Go to ketonics.co. And for my international followers, it's ketonics.com. Woo! 
Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through. Just the thought of me having to learn stuff again, it was intimidating. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. I didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests. The NTA is looking for more keto practitioners. They believe in real food. They do not frown upon good, healthy fats. They believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet. The most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body how vitamins and minerals affect the body. So it's just been a great program. Anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this. So it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, KetoTalk.com. And we're up to the first featured question. It's a little bit long one, but a good one from Darda. Dear Jimmy and Will, I'm a 27-year-old Ketonian, a big fan of your show. I've learned so much about the practical application of a ketogenic diet from you both. I started keto in November of 2017 because I wanted to improve my sleepwalking, which I've been dealing with since I was in my late teens. It seems to get worse during times of high stress in my job as a freelance filmmaker, and none of my doctors have been able to help me figure out how to manage them. According to my doctors, it is apparently related to abnormal electrical activity in my brain, and it's actually a form of epilepsy. I've never experienced any seizures, and it only seems to be affecting my sleep. My neurologist put me on several medications, During the past five years, I've gone through almost all the categories of medication for epilepsy. I haven't seen any major improvement with any of them, and the sleepwalking has only gotten worse. I don't want to keep taking medications that uh, give me brain fog or an inability to concentrate, so I decided to see if the brain health benefits of nutritional ketosis would help. So far, I feel great. I have more energy, and even my poor eyesight seems to have improved a bit with blood ketone readings in the morning of 0.5 to 1.6 millimol. But the sleeping, uh, sleepwalking has not improved. Is there anything else I can do in my ketogenic approach or with natural medicines to deal with this sleepwalking or any epilepsy-related condition? Most of the research I've seen online is in epilepsy for children, Should I be aiming for higher ketones than for general health? If so, what can I do to increase those ketones to the therapeutic levels? I already stay under 30 grams of total carbs daily. I primarily eat eggs, various meats, organ meats, butter, lard, olive oil, non-starchy veggies, dairy products, some nuts and berries, stevia as a sweetener, coffee with MCT oil, 
and my supplements include magnesium and ashwagandha. I saw that and I immediately smiled because I knew you would love that. (laughs) Thank you so much for everything you've been doing. And I eagerly listen to every episode that comes out to learn something new. Regards from Latvia, Darta. So that's a mouthful of a question, Will, but Darta wants to know, will increasing my blood ketones help control my sleepwalking related to a form of epilepsy? And what else can they do to naturally deal with this issue? Uh, I love that we're being listened to in Latvia. That's really awesome. Yes. Um, but Darda, I'm really sorry you're going through all of that. It's probably, it's not fun at all. I know that. Um, but, uh, some things to consider. Yes. To answer your question about the ketones being higher, it may benefit you to have higher ketones to fuel the brain, to be, um, more, a good epigenetic modulator as far as calming inflammation is concerned. So some things to consider would be specific to just raising ketones in the body since you're already producing them on your own naturally is exogenous ketones or MCT oil or some product like that where you can uh, through supplementation raise your ketone levels. Fasting maybe? Fasting, yeah. I didn't know if she mentioned it or not as you were reading through that. Um, But intermittent fasting is another great way to see if you can raise your blood ketones through fasting. So exogenous ketones, intermittent fasting, longer fasting protocols, and experiment with it. See how you feel. See if your sleepwalking improves. Um, Another thing that I've seen good success with uh, with seizure disorders and sleepwalking uh, clinically over the years is CBD oil, which I know we talked about a few weeks ago on the show. So if you haven't listened to the episode, you can go back, I believe, two episodes. 120. About, yep. Great. Episode 120. Um, but CBD oil and cannabis uh, specifically. So they sell like cannabis oil, which isn't legal everywhere. Um, but the cannabis oil has like the full plant in it with some THC and some CBD uh, and it's similar to CBD oil, but it has some THC in it. Um, But it's been shown to reduce the amount of time it takes to fall asleep. It's been shown to help fewer people waking up fewer times at night. It's been shown to help people suffering with PTSD to have fewer nightmares, which can be a part of sleepwalking and night terrors. Uh, And specifically with sleepwalking, it's been shown to increase stage three sleep. And stage three and four is when people are normally having these um, sleepwalking problems. Is that REM sleep? How about stage three? No, it actually it doesn't usually occur during REM sleep. Um, so stage three or four is a different stage of sleep. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, basically this uh, is one way uh, to improve stage three or four sleep with CBD oil or cannabis oil if that's legal and it's something that you're open to talking about. Yeah. Obviously, she's on medication, so she has to discuss these with her doctor as I would, you know, uh, ex- ex- describe for anybody. Sure. Um, but these CBD oil can be great for people with seizure disorders and people with sleepwalking. Uh, something to consider. It's Other all your thing- fault, by the way, that I, I'm taking CBD oil every day now, uh, to, along with some of the hacking I've been doing. Um, and, it, and it has made a huge difference in pain uh, sciatica pain, as well as sleep, like you were just mentioning for DARTA. So, uh, thank you for that, by the way, uh, it's expensive, yeah. but man, that stuff's magical. <laughs> awesome. I'm happy to hear that. And if someone doesn't want to take CBD oil, uh, essential oils can be good like lavender, vetiver, frankincense, myrrh. It's like the 
baby Jesus story, the Christmas story. Clary sage uh, can be good. These are good for you can either put them on your body. You can diffuse them. Uh, these are relaxing as well. Um, making sure like uh, calcium and magnesium, like getting a cow mag powder, uh, you can do that will help people calm down at night and get a better, more restful sleep. Omega three fats uh, have been shown to improve sleep quality and to mitigate sleep disturbances, which sleepwalking would be a sleep disturbance. Um, some other ideas that popped in my mind were tryptophan rich foods like the, you know, in, in, in America, Darda, we celebrate Thanksgiving uh, and people have turkey and it's this age old uh, cliche, but it's the turkey is higher in tryptophan. It can make people feel more tired uh, as well. And chamomile tea. I am a big fan of chamomile tea and other herbal teas that can be calming as well. So these are some things to consider. But because she has epilepsy, she's on medications, I was thinking the bigger guns like CBD oil and cannabis oil may be more appropriate. But all of these can be really game changers for many people. Yeah. Well, Darta, thank you for your question. We're up to the second featured question of the day. This one's from Luana. Hey, Jimmy and Will, I'm a 57-year-old female struggling to lose about 40 pounds. I read Keto Clarity, and I know this isn't a diet, but rather a lifestyle change because I work from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. on weekdays and then care for my sick aunt all weekend. I eat out. I simply don't have the time to prepare recipes or do meal plan prepping for the week. For those of us who never sit down to eat a meal, what can we do to be ketogenic? I don't take any medications, but I do take a lot of vitamins like magnesium and potassium. I wouldn't know how to begin cooking for ketosis, so I feel like I'm being set up to fail even before I get started. This seems impossible for someone like me in my situation. Can you help? Thank you, Luana. So Luana wants to know, how do you eat keto if you don't have time to cook recipes and do any meal uh, plan prepping? And I, my heart goes out to somebody like Luana Will because she's probably more typical than we want to admit as far as like the busyness. And she's got a sick aunt that she's you know sacrificing her own personal time to to help uh, take care of. How, how do we help somebody like her? This is extremely common. It's the majority of my patients. Uh, and when I am hearing you read her question, Luana's question, um, what I hear is she's overwhelmed. She's stressed. She's anxious. She's, yes. she's, she's over. She doesn't, she's disillusioned to what she should be doing. Um, but really when you break it down, Luana, uh, I've been, you know, consulting patients over 10 years about this stuff. I'm used to very busy schedules, a ton of patients that are caretakers for aging parents, uh, sick family members. I'm used to these difficult, stressed real life situations. And I it may sound a little bit blunt, blunt for me. It, all of that, it's completely still possible to do, to do a healthy ketogenic diet. Yeah. Uh, you work eight to 6 PM. That's most people in the United States. Uh, and most people have kids and have second jobs or have aging parents or have other things that they're doing on the weekend. I get it. It is busy, but that's most of us. Um, it's just a matter of starting new things can be difficult at first. And, you know, her, but she said it on the weekend when she's caring for her aunt, she's eating out. Um, that's a choice. If you're planning ahead and she's saying she doesn't have time to meal plan, 
But after 6 p.m., once you get the hang of it, when you get home or on Sunday evening, uh, plan for the week and keep it simple. And you can intermittent fast. You can have leftovers. You have really basic stuff. And there's amazing cookbooks out there where you can do it simple. A lot of the recipes in Jimmy's books and my book are really short things. They're not any big meal. You don't have to be fancy Martha Stewart to be healthy. Um, I think that a lot of this is is anxiety about this, that she's just basically, like she said in her question, she feels like she's setting herself up for failure. I would say her um, relationship to this idea of changing her diet is sabotaging her because if she's going with a positive mindset and saying, I'm going to do this and it's going to take some time to adjust. But once I get the hang of it, it'll be second nature. It'll be a new thing. But if we are waiting for the right time to get healthy, you're going to keep waiting because yeah. it's always going to be the other time when things calm down, <laughs> things rarely calm down for us living in modern America with families and jobs and lives. So if you're waiting for the right time, it's now. Uh, and I've seen many patients with these sort of uh, worries, but, and I really feel like you need, just need to buckle down, keep it simple. Don't be overcomplicated. Don't have tons of meal prep, um, very simple things. Um, but I actually work the same hours. I work 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. during the weekdays and I have kids on the weekends and travel normally flying. So I, I can speak from experience, but also other people that aren't in the wellness world, just normal moms and dads and grandmas and people that are doing what we're talking about on this show. Uh, and maybe some, maybe you need a coach. Maybe you do need a, uh, just a, maybe not a functional medicine practitioner, but maybe just a health coach to help you get sorted out at the beginning. Uh, and then from there you can own it for yourself. Yeah. I think sometimes we become our own worst enemies and don't even realize it that if we just got up an hour sooner, uh, and, and put in a little bit of effort, um, it's tough. I'm not saying it's easy by any means, but I think people make excuses so that they don't have to put in the work that will give them the success. Um, and and sometimes that's a personality thing, Will, that people just they they just love to wallow. <laughs> so I'm not yeah. saying that's what's happening with Luana, but uh, I've seen enough people like that who uh, who do, and and yeah. it's unfortunate. And I think that also separates who's successful on keto versus who's not successful. Um, so do what you have to do, Luana, to be that success that you want to be. Yeah. And she can do it, Luana. I mean, you, you really can do it. There's so many resources online. Just stay positive, reframe your perspective on this. I think that's the bigger thing is I yes. think that whole question, the way she phrased it is <laughs> setting her up for failure. Yes. But, but if you reframe your perspective and have a healthy relationship with food and what you're doing, have an excitement and positive. Positive. I find that even the people with way more busy lifestyles than what she's even explaining are able to do it successfully. But it's their positive mental state that gets them there, not their schedules, which are busy, just like most people's. Yeah. Well, we're up to the third featured question of the day. This one from Catherine. Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. Thank you for spreading the knowledge and changing lives. I've listened to your audiobook several times and love your podcasts. I have lost 45 pounds eating fat, vegetables, and meat-based keto this year, but I have a question about inflammation. I have taken the Pinner Food Intolerance Blood Test as well as the U-Biome Biodiversity Test while working through various elimination diets, and this has helped me, but I feel like there is more. Anytime I eat out, my legs get stiff and my calves and ankles swell. My digestion is also disrupted, causing pellet stool and cramping. 
Can you help me fine-tune my ketogenic approach and fasting protocol to deal with this better? Ironically, I feel best when I water fast for several days at a time. If you have any insight that you would like to share, I would greatly appreciate your help. Thank you, Catherine. So Catherine wants to know, how do you fine-tune keto and fasting to better deal with lingering inflammation that is causing swelling and stiffness? So Catherine's uh, question really resonates with me on a doctor level. Uh, most of my patients are going through varying degrees of this is that they do better with fasting. Their inflammation comes down when they eat even healthy foods. They're getting these random symptoms. She's you know describing as swelling or inflammation. It really can manifest in many different ways depending on the person. Um, I would say uh, this is a clue for me just going off of this information is that there's obviously gut problems going on here. I'm assuming she has gut lining permeability issues. Obviously, I don't know for sure until we would run labs, um, which we could run them for her, uh, for Catherine, but basically to see if there's gut lining permeability. And I am at that point less concerned with the food intolerances and more concerned with what's going on in the gut itself uh, and using fasting protocols uh, and different natural medicine protocols to uh, help heal the gut and give the gut time to heal and repair and get stronger. So specific to um, inflammation overall, I, I like the intermittent fasting ideas and maybe she should just make fasting more of a way of life to help heal the gut. And specifically with inflammation, I love uh, turmeric, and I love taro still bean, which I don't know if I've talked about in the show before or not, but taro still bean, I think I have before um, now that I'm saying it, but it's, it starts with a P it's a silent P uh, and taro still bean is like resveratrol super strong uh, cousin uh, and resveratrol, as you know, is the other uh, anti-inflammatory. So a mixture of those can be really good at calming inflammation levels down specific to her swelling and stiffness in her joints that she's uh, mentioning. Um, and another thing that I like for swelling and stiffness in the joints and musculoskeletal sort of inflammation is a blend of plant enzymes called Wobenzyme. I don't know if you've heard about it, Jimmy, or not, but not. it's a based in Europe. It's this uh, kind of formula that was made, I think, in Germany in the mid 20th century, maybe. Uh, but basically it is now um, contracted. This formula is contracted with a few different supplement companies in the United States. Garden of Life is one of them in the United States, and they sell this blend of plant enzymes. That's I've seen really good success with driving joint inflammation levels down in people. It's called, so it's called Wobenzyme. So those are two things specific to joint inflammation and swelling, which is what Catherine is mentioning here. Yeah, and I think sometimes uh, people think that keto alone will do that, and sometimes you need uh, a little something else. And yeah. uh, it is interesting, though, that fasting for days on end does calm everything down. Uh, yeah, that's just that's fascinating to me. Yeah, and the gut takes 18 to 24 months to heal. So that's really wow. a sign that the foods she's eating and the fasting she's doing, that's a sign that she probably needs to keep doing it. Uh, and when she goes off of it, it, she doesn't feel as good. So clinically, obviously without looking at labs and everything else, but just based on what she's saying here, I would typically assume that the person would have to go longer doing what she's doing. Obviously you're not fasting forever and ever, but you're bringing rounds of these intermittent fasting protocols more rather than less. And I find the people that do that more tend yeah. to get better faster. Yeah. 
Well, Catherine, thank you for the question. We're up to the Keto Talk mailbox portion of the show. And this one comes all the way from Chile, South America. Macarena, that's literally her name. Uh, Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I really love your podcast. So thank you so much for all of your help and inspiration. I am a healthy 40-year-old woman, five foot four inches tall, mom of three, and I weigh 128 pounds. Keto has helped me immensely since I started started eating this way in January this year, but I'm now looking to drop my body fat percentage from the 29% it currently stands at down to 20%. I love walking briskly, briskly to get my heart rate up, and I do yoga three times a week. But I couldn't stand the thought of lifting weights or doing other strength training exercise. She would not like uh, flipping the tire like I'm doing right now. (laughs) Uh, Can I improve my body composition without strength training, which I don't enjoy at all? I'm an aerobic exercise lover, but I'm afraid that uh, that is this this type of exercise may be what is keeping my body fat high. Every doctor I've ever seen says that I'm skinny fat. Thanks for your help. Macarena from Chile. So she wants to know, how do you lower body fat percentage while eating keto without ever doing any strength training? The the answer to her question is the thing she doesn't want to do. <laughs> yeah, I would say that the strength training is a major way to change body composition. So even though she hates it, sometimes the thing we don't want to do that we need to be doing it to achieve the goals that we're wanting to achieve. Yes. Uh, so it doesn't have to be conventional weight training like you're doing, Jimmy. I think that's fantastic. You were like me and Solomon, my son Solomon, were watching it during book launch week and we were both rooting for you in LA. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's great. I think that just picking heavy things up and sweating uh, is is a good idea to change body composition. Uh, and so I, I, I definitely would bring weight training in, uh, which is exactly what Macarena and I didn't want to hear. And then <laughs> n- number two, I would say high intensity interval training uh, or hit training or burst training. Uh, she's saying that she's doing um, walking briskly and doing yoga which is good. I mean, fantastic. But I think that shorter bursts of, of high intensity interval training has been shown to also help with fat burning mechanisms in the body and change body composition. So I would say the burst training, good for burning fat, building some muscle, but the strength training actually, and you could do burst training with weights and resistance training too. You can kind of marry the both of them too. But I think that the resistance training, picking something heavy up, doing weight training to some degree is the thing that will build muscle. Uh, and we know ketosis is muscle sparing too. Um, <laughs> she could get some weights and do it to this song. <laughs> self-motivation. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Her name was too cute not to... Have a little fun with it. Thank you, Macarena, for that question. What's and, so uh, funny is that in America, we all know that name from that amazing song. But in like Chile and it's different a popular countries, name. it's a common name. Yes. It's, yes. It's Us like Americans, John. we heard about it just through a pop song in the 90s. Uh, there's a lot of weird things about Americans that uh, our international friends just laugh at us about. So. Well, Macarena, thank you for that question. And I've actually been to Chile, South America, Santiago, Puerto Montt, Puerto Varas. So uh, I miss being there and would love to come back there someday. 
Well, uh, if you'd like to leave us a review for this here podcast, uh, we do have a way for you to do that. Head on over to Apple Podcasts if you're the Apple uh, type and you listen to this podcast on there. You can type in Jimmy Moore, Keto Talk, Dr. Will Cole. You will find the show and you can leave us a review. You can also go to Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now, there should be an ability for you to leave a review and we sincerely appreciate all of those reviews. And speaking of reviews, you should definitely head on over to the Ketotarian page on Amazon and leave a nice review for Will's new book if you got it and you like it. If you don't like it, you can uh, uh, keep it to yourself. But if you like the book, <laughs> give him a great review there. It definitely helps new authors, especially even international best-selling ones like Dr. Cole. Thanks, Jimmy. You like how I'm gushing all over you, man. I'm so proud yes. of you. I'm. Thank you. So, guys, that's it for episode one, two, three of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. KetoTalk.com is our website. KetoTalkFB.com is the official uh, Facebook page. And we will be back again next Thursday with more Keto Talk. So we'll see you guys then. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you love Keto Talk, then drop us a review at iTunes. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Disc of Light. <laughs>